all of you guys are thinking about Christmas this time of year, right? Um, I think you'll agree with me here that there's somewhat of a culture shift in the month of December, right? Um, I think throughout the entire West, uh, we kind of see the same thing happen around Easter. People just kind of get a little softer, right? People get a little more friendly, maybe. Um, there's a shift from self-interest to other people. Uh, now, I realize you could also argue that December is one of the worst times of the year for consumerism, materialism, and all the awful things that we also do in America. Um, but by and large, I think there's a spirit of kindness, goodness, joy in the air, and everybody knows it. That's why people ask for money in December, isn't it? That's why people ask for money in uh, in April as well, uh, because people are softer. They're more likely going to give to stuff. Um, all employers are also feeling the love. Corporations across uh, the world even usually close on Christmas Day, right? Um, the majority of, of even big names will, will take Christmas Day off, give most of their employees off. And uh, in doing some research, I, I found that the, the category of worker um, percentage-wise that works the most on Christmas Day is clergy, which, which makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And I think that also adds to the argument that clergy who are supposed to be about doing good things are uh, working on Christmas. Um, so why is this? What is the driving force that changes our attitude in December? One might argue that it's simply traditions that make us happy. We get nostalgic. We think about you know, the lights in the tree and the things we had growing up. We remember mom and them and you know, we remember all the Christmas gatherings uh, growing up. Um, who doesn't love downtown Forest City right now, right? I mean, come on, take a walk in downtown Forest City after the sun goes down if you haven't yet. It's just delightful. Um, just a good time. Another reason, uh, argument, we might argue, is from uh, church history. There was an actual dude named Nicholas who was a saint, a bishop uh, of the church in Myra in the 4th century. I don't know if he had a big white beard or if he wore a red coat. But he was a real saint, um, <clears throat> and uh, he kind of was remembered for compassion, kindness. His parents died, leaving him a sizable inheritance, and he basically gave it all away. Um, he especially loved children and gave gifts, <clears throat> and there's a lot of legend, and it's hard to tell what's, what's real. Um, and there's even a fun rumor that he was at the Council of Nicaea, uh, and uh, punched a guy in the face who didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus. I don't know if that actually happened, uh, but there's there's Saint, Saint Nick for you, right? Um, mostly he was compassionate and kind, uh, <clears throat> and that's what he's remembered for. The Catholic Church celebrates December the 6th, Saint Nicholas Day, uh, and they've been celebrating that for centuries. So maybe there's some some something there. Or maybe, maybe God really came to earth born of a virgin, to take away our sin and our sadness and to redeem us from all lawlessness and make all things new. And maybe, deep down, everybody really knows that Jesus is Lord. And there's a sense of awe that comes upon us this time of year because Jesus is talked about more than other times of the year. And what we find in our text today is another reason why Jesus came. We saw last week, 
Paul uh, said grace appeared. Grace, it's been our, our study through Titus. Uh, grace appeared in the manger. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the manifestation of, of God's grace is the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. He came to forgive. And this week we see another reason um, when loving kindness appeared. That's kind of the title of today's message. When loving kindness appeared. We are told that Jesus came as goodness and loving kindness. Why? To teach us to be kind ourselves. To teach us to be kind. The angels sang in Bethlehem, gathered around the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We are all longing for peace, and though it is not currently installed over the entire globe, it is coming, and God's plan for doing that is to fill the earth with more Christians who have experienced the loving kindness of Jesus and who therefore become loving, kind people themselves. And the earth becomes full of His peace because the earth is full of people with whom He is well pleased. His children, right? This is what we are longing for. And so in December, we're reminded that there will soon be peace on earth given to us through this Jesus. When loving kindness appeared. Three uh, portions for us to sort of break up this text. The first one is kind Christians. Kind Christians. Again, if we'll read verse 15 of chapter 2, uh, Paul says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, we're kind of reminded right here in the middle of this letter, oh yeah, this is a letter from someone to someone else, from Paul to Titus. And there's this swift reminder, this charge of what Titus was <coughs> to be doing. He was to appoint elders. He was to teach sound doctrine and guard against empty talkers. He was to um, build a culture of discipleship among the saints in Crete. And here is this reminder that he is to declare all these things with authority, to declare and exhort and rebuke with authority. Preaching the gospel in Crete, cultivating a family of sound doctrine, who are zealous for good works, was not going to be easy. He was going to be met with opposition by insubordinate deceivers, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, right? Just go back a chapter and you'll see who those people in Crete were like. Titus would be tempted to give up, to uh, grow quiet, to avoid conflict, um, to grow soft, to be disregarded. But Paul says these teachings must be declared and these empty talkers must be rebuked. Titus was not an apostle. Timothy was not an apostle. But the Bible teaches something called pastoral authority. And pastoral authority finds its foundation in what God's Word has to say. <clears throat> Pastors are commanded to give uh, a plea to their people to obey the commands of Scripture. I have a charge to do that with all authority to you. No authority to tell you how to fix your car, tell you where to work, tell you who to vote for. My job is to tell you what the Bible says and to do it, right? That's the authority of the pastor. So he is saying that Titus must do this, must declare these words boldly no matter the consequences. Isn't it better to teach the truth and be disliked rather than to have wicked people like you who are damaging the church on their way to hell? 
<clears throat> so that's what we want to see here at Main Street, right? Amen? Let's see if you're still amening right after this, because here's what he is told to declare. What he says next is not what you'd expect. Let no one disregard you. Declare, exhort, rebuke. He's going to tell them something hard, right? What's he going to tell them? This is like preparing for a war speech, sending out the troops to do something really hard. What is their battle? Be obedient and be kind. Be obedient and be kind. Not what we thought was coming, right? Remind them to be submissive. Remind them to speak evil of no one. Remind them to avoid quarreling and to be gentle. Remind them to be courteous toward all people. (coughs) Paul ended chapter 2 with this uh, plea for them to be zealous for good works towards one another in the body of Christ. Now chapter 3, he's moving towards a plea for them to be kind to everybody outside of the church, right? To all men, to all people, this is how you are to behave yourself. The gospel teaches you how to act in church. The gospel teaches you how to act everywhere else. <clears throat> Do you know that Jesus came to make you submissive and gentle? It's not cool. It's not sexy. It doesn't sell books, right? But it's the Bible, And you know, thinking about this text, there's this larger conversation going on right now. Some of you might be aware of it. Some of you may not be, and that's okay. Uh, But I think it is causing division in the church. People are making jokes about the 11th commandment of evangelicals. You know what the 11th commandment is? Thou shalt be nice. Thou shalt be nice. Christians have to always be nice, don't they? And so there's this big conversation going on on whether or not we always have to be nice. Jesus flipped tables, didn't he? Jesus said some pretty harsh things to the leaders of of his day. Brood of vipers, that kind of thing, right? Read the Gospels, read who Jesus actually was. Jesus was not always nice. Aren't we supposed to be like Jesus? This This is the dilemma. Only problem is, guys, listen, we're not Jesus, we're not. That's a, that's a big, big game changer, isn't it? We're not Jesus. And there's one really big difference between you and Jesus. And you know what it is? Jesus can do whatever he wants because he's sinless. <laughs> that, that's, that changes things, doesn't it? St. Nicholas punched a guy. Does that mean we get to punch people? Or maybe he shouldn't have done that. If we're going to look at Jesus' life in light of Titus 3, right? What did Jesus say about Caesar? It's got his name on it. It's got his face on the coin. It's his. Be submissive. What about speaking evil of people? Jesus definitely did it. Jesus condemned people, right? But he told us in Matthew 5 to love even our enemies. What about being gentle and courteous to all people? There are places where Jesus became visibly angry with people in the Gospels. But to us, he says, it's the meek, the gentle, the mild, who will inherit the earth. Those who give water to the thirsty, those who visit men in prison, those who clothe the poor, 
those who treat all people with love and kindness. Now, it seems really strange for me to be defending niceness from the pulpit, doesn't it? It it feels weird to be doing that, but I think it makes perfect sense um, with this grand discussion going on today because if this was natural to us, it probably wouldn't have to be declared and exhorted and rebuked with all authority. If this was natural to us, it probably wouldn't be such a bold command in Scripture. Maybe this is harder than it sounds. Like, y'all know, right? I mean, some of the meanest people I've ever met have been church people. Right? It's easy to justify being mean, rude, slanderous, or hateful as long as we're provoked in our spirit like Jesus was, right? And yeah, I know Paul told Titus just a few sentences ago to rebuke the empty talkers, the deceivers, the evil beasts, the the lazy gluttons. Rebuke them, those who contradict sound doctrine. But I think, hear me out, maybe we can still hate the things that God hates and not be jerks. Is that possible? I, (laughs) I think that's what Titus is commanding us to do. But see, that's way harder for our flesh. We want to just justify when we get mad about something and call it righteous anger and then just go off. Right? Some of y'all on social media, y'all know how to comment. You're provoked in spirit. But the Bible tells you to do something almost impossible. The Bible tells you to submit and obey the governing authorities, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and courteous toward all people. That phrase, all people, we just saw it in chapter 2. What did it say? Grace appeared bringing salvation to all people. And now Paul's using it again, saying you need to be kind and courteous to all people because Jesus can save them, right? And guess what? Jerks don't make very good evangelists or apologists or defenders of the faith. And because people are thinking about Jesus more during December, I do think that our civilization gets a little less jerky. But this niceness isn't unfounded. It comes from somewhere. It's not from our flesh. We love because He first loved us. We are kind because He is unbelievably kind to us. Kind Christians, a kind Savior. Number two, verse three. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, but, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. This is classic Gospel language in the New Testament. If you read your Bible, you see stuff like this, right? We used to be this way, but now we're like this. Formerly, we were dead. Now, we are alive. How did it happen? But, 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 the best word in all the Bible, right? But now, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, and He saved us by His own mercy, right? And the description He gives of who we used to be who the Christians in Crete used to be is the opposite of what he just tells them to be. 
<clears throat> Formerly, they were disobedient. But now they're to be submissive and gentle, obedient. Formerly, they were foolish. Now they submit lovingly. Once they were led astray by passions and pleasures. Now they're ready for every good work. They're disciplined. Once they were living in malice and envy. Now they actually try to avoid quarreling. Once they were hated by others and hated one another. But now they show perfect courtesy, courtesy towards all people. That, my friends, is the work of an incredibly kind Savior. That's what he does. The Christmas story is the beginning of the gospel story. That the old is gone, the new has come. What is this new thing that has come? The goodness and loving kindness of God has come. Jesus in the manger, grace appeared with his two buddies, goodness and loving kindness right here in the face of Christ, in the face of the babe. That word for goodness actually means kindness, which is confusing. But um, it's the same kindness listed as a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. It's a word that implies moral or ethical action done for a neighbor. Not just being a good person, but doing goodness to someone. And then loving kindness is philanthropia. Philanthropia. Does that sound like any English words? Philanthropy, right? <clears throat> Philo means friend. Anthropos means man. A friend of mankind, literally transliterated, right? <clears throat> it means to be sincerely friendly to people. So what do we see appearing in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? We see grace for the forgiveness of sins, and we see a love that expects nothing in return. We see a love that puts itself in harm's way. We see a love that looks first to the interests of others. We see a love that is unconditional, pure, and altogether good. For God so loved was a friend of the world that he gave us his son. It's a love that gives. A love that requires action. About a month after Isla was born, <coughs> we received a very unexpected gift. I had a great uncle, a great uncle. Anybody still have great uncles? I had a great uncle who lived far away, never met him, never met his wife. They had no children. They worked hard. They traveled. They lived their lives. They died. And upon our doorstep appeared a significant amount of money that Uncle Lowell designated in his will. Never met him. And it's certainly God's wonderful timing right as Isla was born. But I don't think I've ever experienced a kindness like that, honestly. Here was a person I'd never met giving me, a perfect stranger, a significant chunk of cash that I did nothing to earn in his death, so there's no way for me to repay it or give it back. This is the kind of uh, kindness our God and Savior gave when he appeared to man. He saved us. We didn't do it. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy. If you hadn't figured it out yet, right? He already said this last week, but for the folks in the back, the formula of salvation includes nothing about human effort. We bring nothing to the table. It is all his mercy. We were slaves. He broke the chains. We were slaves to passions of the flesh. But then he saved us. He put forth an act of mercy that caused unrighteous people to become righteous through the given blood of Christ. He did it. He came to earth not just to show us how to be saved, but he came to earth to show us that he is salvation. He is the way himself. He didn't come pointing a finger saying, go down that road. He said, I'm the road. I've come for you. I am the way to the Father, the truth and the life. And the Father puts us on that road, on that path by his mercy. We don't swerve and get on it at the last second. He puts us on it. He puts us on it. And that is the kindest act that humanity has ever encountered. We've met a kind Savior who has taken away our hatred and has made us gentle, has made us friendly like He is. I wonder how people would describe you. Unfortunately, I think evangelicalism as a whole would probably appear pretty hateful right now. We finished Christianity 101, our first little core doctrine class. We learned some helpful stats. Non-Christians were polled about their perception of Christians. And some of y'all already heard this, but here it is again. 87% of non-Christians thought Christians were judgmental. 85% said hypocritical. 78% said old-fashioned. 75% said too involved in politics. Yeah. I I don't think they're that I don't think they're wrong. I, I I really wonder how many would have said, you know, I think Christians are really kind. Some of the kindest people I've ever met. The word of faith are showing us up. I need to be careful, don't I? But come on, come on, right? Come on. Jesus ensures that you can be kind because he gives you the greatest gift after salvation, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit who washes you, renews your soul, makes you a different person. Right? Last point, creating a kind people. Creating a kind people. 23 minutes. Are we going to eat? Let's see. Verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Something happened this week that Mariana told me I had to find a way to get in the sermon. So here it is. Found a way to fit it in. I live out in the country now, and I quite like it out in the country. Chip says it's a piece of paradise that nobody knows about. 
It's called Gilkey, North Carolina. It's great. <clears throat> and Sorry. I'll take that out of the sermon when I post it. <clears throat> well, uh, we've lived there for about two years now. And one of the benefits is burning trash. Two, three times a month, you know, we get cardboard like crazy because we think Amazon is free or something. So we get all these cardboard boxes, and it's just easier to burn them than trying to uh, take them to the dump most of the time. So, um, yeah, a few times a month I'll, I'll burn a few cardboard boxes. Uh, and last Tuesday I was burning my happy little pile of cardboard boxes like I do. And I threw that last box on the fire, and it's just a fire pit, so I put the, the grate lid thing back on it, and it's just cardboard. It usually dies really fast, uh, and it looked contained. No problems, right? <laughs> so I go inside, <clears throat> and about 10 minutes later, I look out the window, and our entire yard is on fire. Uh, so I run outside. And I grab the water hose, and I start spraying everything down, and no problems. Everything was okay. Mariana took a lot of pictures of me. Um, no, nobody got hurt. No damage done. But I learned something. What was that? While the burn ban was on. That's, is this, it's not lifted yet? I thought, I literally tried to wait. I have been waiting for the burn. I thought it was over. Anyways. It's been raining like crazy. Come on. Um, <clears throat> fire spreads fast. Fire spreads fast, doesn't it? Fire is a wonderful illustration to portray the work of the Holy Spirit. In our conversion, there is a spark that takes place called regeneration. It's when a human heart goes from death to life, turned from stone to flesh. We become living creatures. We are regenerated. Y'all, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. That's, a, that's made up. That doesn't exist. You know that, right? Christians who aren't Christians. Right? The, once the fire is alive, it does not go out. That would mean the Holy Spirit would have to be taken away from the believer. But Paul teaches in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is a permanent gift, a guarantee of eternal life. And by the way, y'all know the Holy Spirit is God, right? Uh, the Trinity mat matters. And it really matters like in times like this because at Christmas we celebrate the nature of the second person of the Trinity, the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, who became a, a human, right? Fully God, fully man. But God is still three persons. That was not jeopardized when Jesus came to earth. The Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit and the Father did not become incarnate as the Son did, but still maintained perfect oneness and harmony and unity within the Godhead. And that's pretty amazing to think about. But the point is that God doesn't make promises that he can't keep. So for the, when I say that the Holy Spirit is God, that means you don't have some kind of angel given to you. You have God, right? And in order for the, your salvation to fail, that means God would have to fail at it. That means God would give you a bad Holy Spirit that doesn't work, that doesn't fully regenerate you. 
If we could lose our salvation, we would lose our salvation. But because the Holy Spirit is God, it's up to him to lose it. And guess what? He doesn't make bad promises. When he gives it, he gives it. It's him. Is that mean he have to lose himself? His word is good. His word is good. God's plan before the foundation of the world wasn't just to save some people. God's plan was to come to earth in the loving kindness of Jesus, live a perfect sinless life, die the death that we deserve, and rise from the dead in victory over sin, over God's wrath, and then give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who believe in Him so that we might collectively become a justified people, heirs with Christ, who are set on fire through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, who are filled with the very loving kindness of God Himself. That's amazing. That's amazing, isn't it? So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I think it has a lot less to do with dancing and shouting and more to do with loving people. Right? I've said it before and I'll say it again. What is a church that is full of the Holy Spirit? A church where every name on the rolls has the Holy Spirit. Where every name on the rolls is a Christian. That's a church full of the Holy Spirit, right? The fire is to spread and grow collectively among the saints. We come together as little flames to make one big yard fire that everybody sees. And the neighbor comes out in his sweatpants to ask what's going on. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Justified fully by Christ's work. Cannot become any more guiltless, any more clean. He looks at us as if we've never sinned. And the Holy Spirit comes in to live up to those, uh, to that position we've already been given. To be holy as He is holy. That we might walk in that new life with a new set of morals and a new set of ethics towards people. And with our fire alive and spreading in the hearts of each member, we wait together for the fulfillment of our hope as heirs with Christ. That means that Jesus has inherited a glorious nature and a glorious possession because God found favor with him. So we become heirs with Christ. We get everything Christ gets. You and I will be glorified in the life to come as brother heirs with Christ according to the hope of eternal life. The blessings that Christ deserves for His work, His perfection, His delightful obedience to the Father, we get as if we did them all. Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Christ has won this for us. Sins removed, flesh made pure, incorruptibility, and a whole host of other things we don't even know about yet. And it all started with a baby in a manger. My question to you this Christmas, are you kind only in December? Are you gentle only in December? Are you gentle at all? <laughs> Kind at all? Or is the Holy Spirit teaching you kindness year-round, modeled for you through the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ? 
Are you filled with hatred? Enslaved by passions, living in malice and envy? All these other things. I've been there, right? If you're a Christian, you're saying you've been there. If you're there today, we've been there. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. See his goodness and loving kindness on display for you. He saved us by his mercy. It's a free gift. Receive it. Receive it. Experience a kindness that you have never encountered on earth. See the babe in the manger. See the cross where he hung. See his empty tomb. Loving kindness has appeared for us. So let's walk in kindness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that kindness that appeared to us that Christmas morn. Uh, we, We are filled with joy for the love that you've shown to mankind. What a friend we have in Jesus. I pray that we as a church would be characterized that way. What a friend we have found at Main Street. We are friendly, that we are gentle, we are submissive, we are obedient. We are kind. We are courteous toward all people. Not because of some great ability we have within us, but because of the Holy Spirit given to us who reminds us daily of the loving kindness of Jesus Christ. Now let us walk in kindness as you have walked and trod this earth in kindness among us and gone to a cross in kindness for us and rose from the dead in kindness for us and justified us fully in kindness for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.